Welcome to the Feeling Bookish podcast. I'm Rob Fay in Portland, and Roman Sivkin is is with me as usual. And so, uh, you know, you're, we're doing a classic this week: Dostoevsky, Demons, uh, a perfect novel for a a beautiful sunny day uh, here in Portland. And so, you know, the thing that occurs to me when you spend time with a book like this is, um, how do you even begin to start? Um, there's a million different things that we could talk about. And, and I know that Roman, you know, feels quite the same. Um, it's impossible with a book like this to talk about any one, uh, singular theme. Um, you think about, um, the universe that these very special Russian writers uh, were living in in the 19th century. But it also makes you think a lot about what's going on uh, in Russia today and also with um, extremism in the world and, and the kinds of ideologies that make people uh, kind of weird. So, you know, Roman, um, I, I have a quote that for me helps to set up a little bit of, of what's going on with Dostoevsky in general. So I, I have this obscure little book that I found uh, years ago in Boston, and it's by the French novelist Andre Guide, and it's just titled Dostoevsky. It's a beautiful little book, and I, I, I got it in Kenmore Square years ago, and I was flipping through it after finishing Demons, and um, here's a quote that gets to, I think, what is special about Dostoevsky and kind of hints at this whole rivalry between Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. And, and uh, you know as well as I do that uh, famously Vladimir Nabokov really dismissed Dostoevsky as a, uh, a mediocre uh, writer. So here's what Geed said, and, and this is a very interesting, uh, I think, starter. Geed said, um, in relation to Dostoevsky, the inner life is thus more highly prized than relations with one's fellow man. And here lies Dostoevsky's secret, um, the things which makes for some so great and for many others insufferable <laughs> because, you know, I think, um, you know, in contemporary terms, uh, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones, you know, where, where do you, you're usually in one camp or another. And I think it's, it's similar, uh, with Tolstoy. Um, you know, one of the, the things that Nabokov points out with, um, with Dostoevsky, which I think is dead on. And this occurred to me um, a lot when I was reading Demons. Uh, Dostoevsky believes that, or, or I should say Nabokov believes that Dostoevsky is essentially a playwright and not a novelist. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just uh, was flipping through a book and just found that quote a few hours ago. And I thought, yeah, because this is the feeling I had uh, reading Demons is that there is this um, uh, massive list of characters, and he often brings them together and, and pushes them into scenarios, uh, much like you'd see uh, in a play. And I actually was thinking of Shakespeare and thinking of um, actually some of the lighter uh, comedies of Shakespeare, like Midsummer's Night's Dream. Because um, there is this fumbling, what will they do next, plots and mm -hmm. subplots, that's a big part of this. So, um, I mean, and of course, Shakespeare is mentioned in the book many times. Uh, you know, it's, uh, in fact, the book is filled with literary allusions. But we can maybe talk about that a little bit later. But Shakespeare is definitely front and center. <laughs> you know, Falstaff is mentioned. Prince Harry. 
Prince Harry from uh, you know from Shakespeare as um being as uh, 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 the not Verkovensky, I'm sorry, the Stavrogin. Stavrogin is the Prince Harry. You know, he had this dissolute kind of youth, misspent youth. So, yeah, so go ahead. I mean, just throwing that in there, and it's right actually in the book. No, uh, absolutely. And, um, you know, to, to simply set the scene, uh, Nabokov says, you know, uh, demons or the possessed, as it was uh, known in earlier transla- translations, is, is simply a, a book about a group of terrorists Whose and that's the word he uses. Whose ideas, um, uh, their their devotion to ideas, uh, you know, kind of lead them to their own own demise. Um, and it makes me think of you know, is this a book that um, there's a whole political lens that you can put on it? But um, there's another part of me that thinks you know, this is really about. Um, religion and Russia in its relationship to tradition in the past and the struggle in 19th century Russia with the Russian soul. Is it owned by um, the Russian Orthodox Church? And in other words, is, is, is it possible to separate the Russian soul from, uh, you know, the gospel? And so um, where at this point in time, the, the 1870s, when, when Dostoevsky wrote this, Europe um, had really moved on from its, you know, medieval kind of religious past, particularly with the French Revolution. And so Dostoevsky was, you know, acutely aware of what was going on in, in, in Europe. Um, and, you know, several of the characters in this book are, uh, you know, uh, they're traveling to Europe. Um, they yeah, are, they live abroad. abroad yeah, they have, this, yes. they have this yearning this frustration with Russia um, that it 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 won't act like Germany. It won't act like France in terms of the its its uh, intellectual environment. Um, and it's really interesting because today, um, you know, Putin in part um, defines himself uh, against right, uh, what's happening in, in Western Europe and in the West, right? This is part of his his bulk work against... Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, actually, is, he's aligned himself with the Orthodox Church very closely. Ex- as sort exactly. Of, you know, he's, in, he's definitely in that corner, not in the Western or Western corner, which is, you know, again, going back to the 19th century, the whole exactly. thing that, that the Slavophiles you know, versus the Westerners, yes. that, that tension in Russia, which... You, correctly pointed out, still exists today. Totally. And I, I do want to read, uh, this is kind of an unusual passage, I want to take it right from uh, the Gospel of St. Matthew. And, and this is, uh, this I think helps explain the title a little bit. Um, and I, I really think that um, man's relationship to God um, is really uh, just a, a massive theme in the book and something that, that has to be somewhat grappled with. And Um, So the title is Demons, and um, uh, late in the book, uh, one of the character uh, quotes this little piece from uh, Matthew, uh, which is, I think, very significant. And so uh, this is about Jesus. He's doing his thing. He's um, evangelizing throughout uh, Palestine. 
And so uh, I'll quote here. So, and so, and when he, meaning Jesus, came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarnes, two demons met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out to Jesus, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many swine was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, if you cast us out, send us away into the heart of swine. And he said to them, to the demons, go. So they came out and went into the swine. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. And and then the, the herdsmen uh, were so alarmed that they actually said to Jesus, you know, get the hell out of here. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there, there's something quite weird about you. But um, there, I think there's something to do here with Russia. Uh, there's something to do with almost this sort of demonic um, infiltration of ideas uh, and how that can be a really dangerous cocktail with uh, bright, somewhat deluded, radical youth, which makes me think of uh, current uh, ISIS-type figures. It makes me think of um, communist cadres through the 20th century. And clearly it, it, it was something that was... Um, uh, popping around in Russia. Right, right. Well, as, as you see in the book, well, first of all, let's, let me just set the scene because uh, I just read the book very recently and I wanted to keep clear in my head and also in our listeners' head. If you haven't read it, it's just so you know approximately the structure. It's a big book, 700 pages in my translation here. It's big. So there's lots of things happening here. But basically, the main setting is this provincial backwater that's far from the capital, uh, far from everything, really. And with very little, you know, cultural life going for it. And so on this scene, um, you have a re- kind of a retired old professor who, who is a, a very important character. He kind of opens the book and he ends the book in a way. Um, the elder Verkovensky, um, Pyotr Stepanovich, yeah, not Pyotr Stepanovich, the son. It's uh, Stepan Trofimovich uh, Verkovensky. He used to live abroad, like you said. He got all these ideas. Because uh, remember, the, the the first international met what maybe ten years prior to the setting of this book, and the first international was this sort of um, uh, this French revolutionary movement of workers, anarchists, socialists, communists, uh, kind of this weird revolutionary you know stew with all kinds of elements in it that end up fighting with each other. Uh, but basically, at this point, they just um, had this meeting and this ideological force came into the world uh, and it was kind of uncontained. There was a lot of, like I said, a lot of sort of elements to it. Uh, some were arguing for this point, some were arguing for that point. There were statists, there were anarchists fighting with each other, but they're all together in this stew of socialist kind of weirdness. Um, um, and so, and so this uh, uh, Stepan Trofimovich uh, kind of got infected a little bit with this, though he is a very strange, interesting figure because he, to my mind, he's a little like a Don Quixote type of figure. He's yes. kind of silly. He's not really serious. He's kind of puts on airs a lot. Um, he is yeah. educated, right? But he... But he doesn't know real life. He's the no, classic. No, because he's been he's been he's been basically right. uh, isolated in this provincial backwater with his, 
um, what would you call her, Varvara Petrovna, she's his benefactor. Yes. I guess she's the rich landlady, who, you know, yes. landowner who lives there. She's a widow of a general. She's very respected in that society. Um, and and he also is constantly using French. Yes, which which, which, was, which was normal for for yes. You know, How, however, Russians. however, yeah. I I because he's one of the only characters in this book that peppers his his, his mm -hmm. speech with French. I feel like Dostoevsky is pointing out. Uh, a pretentiousness and a separation from ordinary Russian people, where in Tolstoy, all the characters almost speak a third of the time in French. And so yeah. it's it's more of a sociological observation where Dostoevsky wants us to see this man is, you know, he talks to servants in, in French. You know, he, yeah. he just can't orient himself. He can't switch, like, register, uh, as we might say today, you know. Right. He's a bit of a buffoon. I mean, it's, you know, little, little, little Groucho Marx, a little Don Quixote kind of mixed together. Um, but his, um, so he, he lives in this backwater with his, with his patroness and um, to this, on this scene, this kind of quiet, nothing happening really, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's just not, it's not a very happening kind of place, but on the scene, uh, you have several people arriving from abroad, you know, all of this new, this new sort of thinking, you know, bring this new thinking with them and this air of some sort of a weird revolutionary kind of stirring going on. They bring this right into this provincial backwater and all hell breaks loose, basically, slowly, but very surely. And the pacing of this book is really quite amazing. It's like you, you kind of alluded to earlier, Rob, it's kind of this kind of a whodunit. There's always tension. There's always like, you know, if you don't know the story, you're always looking forward to what's what's going to happen next. What's what's he going to do? What's what's she going to do? What's you know what's what's happening basically? And you just want to keep finding out, so you want to keep reading. So I, it was almost kind of a whodunit. It's almost like a mystery uh, novel in in a sense. Um, and the tension keeps on building and building. And I got to give Dostoevsky some props, man. He is he knew how to write. I don't know about this. Nabokov's observation about it being more of a of a play because to me it felt very much uh, very cinematic. Uh, I could really picture it in my mind. He, the details of this book are amazing, really quite detailed. Uh, little psychological maneuvers that uh, that all these characters go through are are detailed painstakingly by by Dostoevsky. Uh, maybe maybe perhaps that's why it's seven hundred pages long. <laughs> You know, so on this scene, these these all these people arrive, and they are they stir the local the local people who are um, slightly maybe disaffected. And there's also something going on with the young people in the area who actually live there. They're also disaffected. They're they seem to be behaving kind of bizarrely. Um, because again, just to backtrack a little bit, um, not only was the the first international about a decade earlier. Also, the emancipation of the serfs happened about a decade earlier. Uh, so it kind of created this instability in society that was very, very stable for many years, for many hundreds of years, in this kind of rigid structure. And suddenly the structure is, 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 is um, debilitated. You know, it's, 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 it's changing. So there's a lot of change in the air. It's been going on for about a decade now, this emancipation of the serfs. So things have been have had time to shift almost... Um, almost um, subterraneanly, you know, without really being noticed above ground, though it's beginning 
as you start to book, it's beginning to be noticeable above ground because the young people are disaffected. They're they're acting weird. They're disrespecting their elders. Things that have never been seen before are suddenly seen, uh, and that kind of really destabilizes that local society. Absolutely, um, and, and there's a there's a, a sense of um, you know real impatience for change, and it yeah. it it makes me think of what it must have been like um, to have to have been in Russia from the period of 1860 or 1870 all the way up until the Bolshevik revolution in 1916, you, to, to have had to, if you were of revolutionary mindset, to, ha, to have waited until 1916 must have been excruciatingly difficult because you can, you can feel that, you know, 50 years prior or 40 years prior, yeah, many no, people were I mean, ready. Yeah, I mean, remember this Ready. was this. Obviously, this was you know, uh, the inf information didn't spread that fast. I mean, they have this in the novel. Um, we have a pr kind of a prominent place to these leaflets, these revolutionary leaflets and printing presses that are being hidden uh, everywhere, and these leaflets are are very important because they're sort of like our um, you know the, their 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 version of the internet. Or at least of the you know the the troll the troll kind of universe of the internet, where you have all these disaffected and uh, and uh, radical viewpoints being expressed, uh, but in a certain format in these kind of leaf be you know, leaflets being printed on on um, um, you know, hidden presses and secret presses, um, they're kind of sort of. On the, uh, on the lookout for the officials, for government, because they know they're not totally kosher. So it's it's definitely underground, but it seems to be very well known. And be, you know, even even the governor has a collection, the, the official governor, who are kind of a newly arrived governor at this uh, backwater provincial town. Uh, he even collects these pamphlets just for his own enjoyment. So it's not like they're completely, you know, hard to get by and only, only you know, the the really radical people have them, but you know, a lot of people seem to be exposed to these leaflets. Even Stepan Trofimovich, uh, this this kind of harmless, um, uh, you know, guy who actually gets blamed for the whole thing uh, by a lot of people towards the end because he he kind of, um, without really understanding the depth of his, of these ideas, was kind of spreading them because they were fashionable, and he was, you know, whatever's fashionable, he'll do. Um, I absolutely, and you know. It, it makes me think a little bit, of course, it, these were political tracks, but of course, later uh, during the Soviet Union, um, uh, manuscripts, often fiction or novels, would distribute in paper form as samsidat. And um, even, though, right, even though they were obviously um, contraband, they were widely circulated and widely read, uh, make, reminding me of the same with some of these political tracks. Well, actually, isn't it? I mean, this this book originally Dostoevsky was going to write one of those pamphlets himself because he was so upset about this new revolutionary movement, um, particularly the whole Nichayev um, yes. movement, which we talked about last in our last episode. And by the way, just just before I forget, because I know I'll forget, uh, have you noticed that? Um, remember the Finnish girl in Master of Saint Petersburg, the fat kind of roly-poly revolutionary. That was a friend of Nichayev's. She was this vaguely. Yeah. Anyway, she's actually she's taken almost, uh, you know, completely uh, from this book. I see. She's yeah. in this book. She's a student. She's described as a student from Saint Petersburg who arrives, kind of 
about halfway through the novel and joins this just radical circle. And she's described as being kind of this plump. It's completely almost exactly word for word the way um, Kotsea uses her in Master of St. Petersburg. Oh, that's so I, interesting. I thought that was interesting that there was a, you know, there's many connections, of course, between the two books, but that was, that really jumped at me. Um, I, I think that's a, a really awesome uh, kind of summary of, of, of the story. And it makes me think of two other, a few other pieces of information that are, that are kind of helpful and also helps tie us back into Shakespeare and also uh, Dickens. And so I think one important uh, fact to understand as you read it is that um, like many of the Dickens novels, this was a serialized novel, right? So he, mm -hmm. so, so Dostoevsky was writing this and it was appearing on a regular basis in a, in a newspaper of some sort. And so that accounts for some of the formal elements of reading this, which are a little jarring for, you know, someone in 2019. And, and that is, it, it's helpful because there are so many characters, often um, the narrator will kind of recap things for you, um, which is quite helpful, but it's also, um, again, a little bit jarring because we, we, that feels rather antiquated, right? To have the narrator jump in there and say, um, in case you missed it, you know, in our last episode, right, th this kind of thing. R right, right. Um, so, so that kind of, I didn't expect that in a Dostoevsky book, right? I was a little bit, that's interesting. Yeah, it didn't feel to me like it was too repetitious or anything like that. I mean, you know, it, I was, it was handled well, but it, but it yeah. was interesting because I would find myself, the, one of the things I struggled with is because there are so many characters and because Dostoevsky's characters are so fully developed, and they have an independent sovereign life of their own, it's, it's not always easy to understand what their relationship is and what they're thinking about to various characters in the orbit. What I mean is in the sense that if you're with character A, and then there's several scenes where he's interacting with character B, you kind of lock into that. And then character A continues on to the next chapter, and then character D comes in, and then you... It, it gets difficult to remember what is character A's psychological orientation towards character D, et cetera. And so well, that, I think that's by design, Rob. I think that that's by design. This uncertainty lasts through most of the book. These mysteries kind of get revealed towards the end to some extent, not all of them. But I think that was that was Dostoevsky's intent is to keep things slightly in the dark and to keep you as a reader off balance and wanting to really balance yourself. So by, I, I, I agree what, more. <laughs> I, no, I agree. But I also think he was aware that at times in this serialized manner that you could get a bit lost. Right. Because you've tossed yeah. the newspaper and you pick up another one and you're like, oh, the possessed. Great. Yeah. What's going on now? And so there would be it wasn't overt and unartistic, but there was a little bit of a, you know, a recap kind of thing. I, I wonder, I actually wonder, this is an interesting scholarly kind of uh, question. I wonder if those newspaper, um, it, you know, um, uh, printings did actually, maybe they included a little recap from oh, the interesting. editor. Yeah. Yeah. So people would be like, oh, that's what happened last time. So what's, right. you know. Yeah. I think helpful. it's it's quite possible that they actually had some sort of a recap because it is such a long, convoluted story. Yes. But now with the characters, and I understand your confusion, Rob, and I started that way too. But what I did is I started reading it piecemeal, meaning, you know, 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there. 
Um, and I found it to be very ineffective with this novel. What I would recommend, if, if at all possible, for readers to take big chunks of this, to take big gulps of this novel at a time. Because then you start seeing the little connections, you start seeing the little changes of psychology um, uh, and the characters. I stopped really uh, wondering who the hell was who about 50 pages in. I started like really remembering things. I think maybe because I, I'm more comfortable with the, with the patronymic naming system. Yes. You know, Stepan Trofimovich, Piotr uh, Stepanovich, all that yes. stuff kind of comes easier to me because I'm semi-used to it from just being Russian, I guess. Um, and it's I can see that being a little bit harder for non-Russians. Um, but all those, especially the female characters, um, start really, I started just immediately recognizing them um, after about 50 pages or so. Um, Maria Timofeyevna, you know, all these, Daria, Daria Pavlovna, Shatov's sister, and and let's talk about Stavrogin, man. This guy, yeah. what the hell is this guy, man? This guy is some sort of a lady killer slash revolutionary slash um, hiddenist uh, slash I don't give a shit about anything kind of guy. Uh, but yet he's got such a, an interesting psychological makeup um, that really gets revealed in the chapter called At Tijons, where he confesses to this monk uh, these horrible uh, earlier crimes that he committed in his, in, you know, in this earlier part of his life, um, but it really comes out there. I think that's probably the nut of the book, the crux of it there. And strangely enough, um, you know, I have read some of the book in Russian and some of it in English, but I I noticed that my Russian edition of the book does not have that chapter. And I looked it up, and guess what? It's it's been uh, censored in uh, Dostoevsky's time because he's talking about child rape he's talking about you know stavrogan basically um gaslighted this girl into thinking that she was responsible for their little affair um and she felt like she killed god and that's a direct quote i killed god um yeah because in her 12 or 14 year old mind which by the way uh dostoevsky uses both 10 year old and 14 year old so he's he got a little confused himself um uh, so we're not sure if she's 14 or 10, but in any case, I'll, 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 I'll split it and say, say she's 12, but she's young. She's, she's a girl. She's not a woman. And he has this quick affair with her and, and she goes basically nuts and, um, uh, commits suicide. Um, and he feels possessed by her. He, here's, here's a little you know, demon right there that's in him. He sees her. Um, hor you know, hor horrible expression with those big eyes and, and basically accusing him, Jacques, you know, um, and he can't live with it. So he confesses this and other horrible things to this monk and talks a little bit about his psychology, like what made him do all those things in his misspent youth. Um, and it's really bizarre, but at the same time, so precise psychologically, you know, this, 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 uh, this ability to derive pleasure from um, not not pain, it's not sadism exactly, but it's it's from you know, misfortune, from from doing horrible things. He derives pleasure, and the reason why he does that is because he can't derive pleasure normally anymore. And this goes back to what I was saying about the young people of the region, and, and I'm assuming in, ge in general Russia, the way Dostoevsky describes it, is that they're a little bit restless. They they can't find 
the most important thing for them, and I think it's actually almost a direct quote, I'm paraphrasing, is entertainment. Above all, entertain us. If you can't entertain us, you're nothing, nothing's worth it. You know, it's, it's all nihilism, nothing's worth it, except for this maybe just, as long as it's entertaining, we're, we're accepting it. And this entertainment can be cruel. This entertainment can be the rape of a 12-year-old, you know, quote-unquote entertainment. So it's a very, I mean, Dostoevsky, for, for a very good reason, is considered a, a, an amazing psychologist. And yes. I think if you want to understand um, some of the radical um, ideas being hurled around nowadays, you know, we're talking about, you know, Facebook trolls, we're talking about uh, Trumpism, we're talking about all this ugliness that's coming out from under the surface right now. And we're like, oh, my God, it's, you know, what's going on? Well, you know, this is what's going on. Read Dostoevsky, you'll understand a little bit of what's going on. Yes. Why, that's why it's so important to read these kinds of books, not yes. only because they give you great pleasure. I mean, I've really, really enjoyed this book. I couldn't tear myself away from it. I, I got up early this morning, so I just could read, you know, the, the last bit of it. Uh, I, I really wanted to read every word. I read a lot of it in Russian, and then I would go back and read in English to make sure I understood everything. I, I just swallowed this this whole thing uh, completely. Uh, I think, unlike, let's say, um, Crime and Punishment, which I read much early in my life, I remember thinking it started great, then it really kind of slowed down in the middle, and I, I had a kind of a hard time getting through the middle, and it picked up again at the end. Here, it never really, for me, slowed down. It was always kind of this, it started low and then just kept building up and building up and building up and building up until the very last line, which, which we were just talking about before starting the recording, which was so crucial. Um, you know, I, so, I no, yeah. that that's, again, you, you, you highlight very, very critical things. And I, I'll take what you said one step further. And simply, as you said, you know, the youth are like, you know, almost a line from Nirvana. Here we are now. Entertain us, and and um, the 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 sense of extremity is to the point where even even you know violence uh, could essentially entertain them. But it, I think Dostoevsky connects this to uh, a quote that I don't think is in the novel, but is from one of his letters. And he's associated with, and he he um, explores in the book is um, without God, all things are permitted, right? And this is mm -hmm. this is sort of I think one of the the main themes of this book is that um, if if you remove that that sort of layer of you know there's a there's a divine uh, judge who uh, has laid out certain parameters for human beings, and if you if you decide if you have the self-will, right, and this gets to the the curious character of Kirillov, Kirillov right, Kirillov, who, yeah, who essentially is Dostoevsky's way of exploring this idea of. Um, so, if we truly remove God from the picture, and almost in a Nietzschean sort of way, um, really own our self-will and say, you know, I am responsible for my own happiness, my own freedom. And I am, and I am not a somewhat, you know, dependent creature on some some <laughs> large creator. Then, it really opens up a menu of freedom that, you know, can go beyond a responsible sense of freedom and into license to do whatever the hell you want. And so, I I really think that this is one of the absolute core themes that 
that Dostoevsky really, really struggled with because um, in, in, a, in, a, in a sense, he was a Christian believer, not probably in any way that we could define it in contemporary U.S. society, but in the sense of um, he went to those camps in Siberia for four years and then he was forced into the army for another six. And so, um, you know, I was thinking about that. And he, at that, he, that time, he was already a, a well-known published author. He had written a book called Poor Folks. He was fairly well-known in St. Petersburg and respected. And he got caught up in this uh, group of political conspirators and, you know, famously was sentenced to death, got a reprieve but was essentially spent 10 years in Siberia, um, this sensitive literary man who was essentially, and I was thinking about this, Roman, and you think, you know, what makes these books so fascinating? And, and you can go on and on about, uh, about Dostoevsky, but I thought about it. What if a very good American novelist, you know, pick whoever you like, Colson Whitehead, Jonathan Lethem, uh, uh, Margaret, Margaret Atwood, well, she's Canadian, but what if after writing a few books, these very solid, good novelists mm. went We're to San to Quentin? <laughs> I love went, the thought, man. I love the thought. Go with it. <laughs> went to San Quentin and, and then emerged with obviously, I mean, if they survive, which is in doubt, but you have to go deep inside yourself to survive that experience. And uh, Andre Gide in his book quotes extensively from Dostoevsky's letter. I'm sorry. Is it Gide or Gide? It's, it's, it's Gide. There's no accent. Uh, oh, okay. I yeah. always thought it was Gide. Okay. Yeah. And so he, he um, quotes extensively from some of the letters. Many of them are describing, obviously, the most awful conditions. But, but several times Dostoevsky describes how in those camps in Siberia, he found depths of a will to live that he didn't know he had. And he was, a, of course, thrown in among, you know, the blue collar working class criminal class in many ways. And so he obviously was exposed to people that um, Margaret Atwood or Jonathan Lethem probably have not <laughs> spent too much time with. So, um, you know, that's something that I can't help but think a lot about, and I and I also know that, um, you know, the, the sense that there was some kind of um, justice beyond earthly justice, I think, was was important to um, just oh, for sure for survival. I mean, he was he was definitely religious, but we nobody has ever been able to pin him down on his yeah, religiosity. You which know? is so fascinating. You, which is actually, I think, the best way to be religious. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, he wasn't a blind believer, and but he was also not an unbeliever. Um, he was a complex man. I mean, you can tell from his writing that he was a very complicated man. And he, like you said, he went through so many bizarre, uh, life-changing events, uh, you know, during his lifetime that he, um, and he came out the other side slightly more conservative. That's for sure. I mean, you know, that's um, who was it that got thrown in jail? Then used to be liberal. And then became conservative after being thrown in jail. The actor guy, like Junior something, he I'm played not... Iron Man. What's oh, his name? Um, yeah. uh, but you know, anyway, he went to jail because of you know drugs, whatnot. Uh, and then he came out, and he cleaned up, and he became super conservative. 
Mm-hmm. Um, not exactly what happened to Dostoevsky, but it's it's kind of along the same lines. Yeah. Um, he came back and sort of kind of disavowed his earlier, his youthful um, revolutionary ardor a little bit. He cooled off uh, and he... He examined it a little bit more you know, coolly and level-headedly. However, uh, these revolutionaries that he describes, Liputin, Lamshin, um, um, uh, and of course, Pyotr uh, Stepanovich himself, the sort of the ringleader, um, the son of uh, uh, Stepan Trofimovich, who was the, you know, the, the, the Don Quixote kind of figure we talked about earlier, he arrives uh, after not seeing his father for like 20 years or something like that. They really were never close. Uh, and he's a despicable character, right? He lies. He, he offends people. Yet yes. he ingratiates himself into the highest levels of society. And he, he's, a, you know, he's a manipulator par excellence. Um, yet he's so rude and so obnoxious. Uh, he's probably the most obnoxious character in the book. Um, yet he pulls all these strings. He seems to be a mastermind, um, and he 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 works these simple, really simple people. You know, they're again they're in this backwater uh, provincial town. Um, they have their little circle that they formed to talk about high ideas, but really they're 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 idiots. They're many times described as idiots. So, so Dostoevsky's picture of these revolutionaries is very unflattering. Um, we haven't even talked about the uh, the 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 Ah, uh, uh, yes, there's, there's a writer in the book who he's uh, this very lofty aristocratic Russian writer who has decided to live abroad because Russia is done with Russia. Uh, but he has this this um, aristocratic lisp, which was a very common thing for very high class people in Russia. But he kind of affected this lisp, and uh, and he's supposed to represent what Turgenev, right? Yes. Um, so Dostoevsky really put it into him. He oh, really comes he off in him. a bad light. Yeah, yeah. I I had it in it. It's uh, precisely this this um, the fun he had with this character that showed some of the the humor that again I I really hadn't associated with Dostoevsky. And there's this wonderful it's a funny book, isn't it? It's, it's funny. It, man. It's a very funny book, yeah. and it. You come in with so many preconceived notions, and in my experience, has been limited mostly to. Uh, juvenile reading of crime and punishment um, and parts of the brothers Karamazov and the, and uh, the idiot. And so I don't remember a lot of humor in those books. And so I love how he just destroys Karamazov with, um, you know, his, his silly book is called um, uh, Merci. And there's yeah. a, there's a scene where <laughs> one of the other characters is like, Oh yeah, grab your man your script. Uh, grab what's it called? Bonjour. He's like, no, it's called Merci. <laughs> and it, it was you know, it was the Pantrofimovich. Uh, it was Pantr Trofimovich, uh, uh, the that that rascally revolutionary ringleader yeah. who says that, yeah. and he really needles him. Uh, so does, even the revolutionaries it. between themselves, even though Karmazinov, the the writer type, is not really a revolutionary, uh, he just kind of jumps on the bandwagon a little bit because that's where things seem to be going culturally. So like, oh, I'll go there as well. Um, so, but he's not really, uh, he's not really part of this group. Um, yet, yet, uh, Pyotr Stefanovich uh, really lays it into him and, and mocks him mercilessly without the other guy really realizing it or perhaps not even caring. I don't know, but he doesn't come across as a very smart character, even though he's a very famous writer in the book, right? He's a, uh, 
distinguished, uh, and Merci is going to be his, his last piece of writing. And so full of himself, you know, I'm going to write this last thing and I'm not going to write again. I'm going to put my pen down. That's it. And you are all privileged to hear my, my, my last piece, even though in the, in the scene, which is really the culmination of the whole book, um, the, the fet, the ball. Yes. Uh, and when he starts reading this piece, uh, it, it turns ugly really, really fast because a bunch of rabble kind of got, got into this fet, this, this party uninvited, um, possibly uh, arranged uh, to be there by uh, this rascally uh, uh, Piotr Petrusha, uh, the son of Verkovensky, um, the ringleader sort of, uh, he kind of arranges for this rabble to kind of enter uh, this this party and basically, um, you know, uh, throw the party. I mean, the party's a complete disaster. It turns into almost a riot. Uh, and as Karmazinov tries to read his, his last piece of writing, it's so boring. It's so boring and pretentious that everybody just starts booing him. And he was almost pretty much chased off the stage. Um, but it's and it's not the only writer who comes into uh, some fisticuffs with Dostoevsky there. There's a... Uh, of course, uh, he loves Gogol. I believe he there's a lot of references to Gogol um, and to other Russian writers. Um, but Karmazinov as a character is really the only one who literally represents uh, a then-living writer who was a kind of a rival of Dostoevsky. What happened to Poor Folk, Dostoevsky's first novel, uh, it was so well-received, uh, including by Turgenev and, and people like him. Uh, but then people cooled off towards Dostoevsky and he kept on writing. And so Dostoevsky really felt um, the pinch. You know, he felt like he was being ostracized. And so this is kind of his revenge um, against all these writers who stop taking him seriously. Absolutely. And he just, he just sandbags, you know, that, that scene at the, the FET, right. Um, yeah, yeah. where there's the readings it's, you know, he has no, he can't gauge his audience. He's so self-involved, um, you know, and, and you and I are not a part of literary New York in any way, but I'm sure there are many like, you know, fundraisers and galas where, overstuffed, pompous yeah, writers get up writers. and, yeah, exactly. you know, yeah. I, I'm just going to throw a name out there. I imagine like, you know, whatever Martin Amos gets up and, or Salman Rushdie and, you know what I mean? They, they wrote yeah, some good books, but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but time, time has passed them by. Um, you know, this, this, again, you, you, you really, um, you do a great job of getting at uh, Piotr. Uh, yeah, Petrusha. At, at, at this this master of, of chaos and it it really makes me think of um, I don't know if you ever saw um, one of the Batman movies called the Dark Knight it came out in 2008 and um, uh, Heath Ledger the really talented actor who died shortly after he played the Joker and um, this was probably the most like like I mean beyond I know Jack Nicholson played one of the the Joker's in an early role, but this was, yeah, but this was a deep performance. This was a deep that, performance. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I remember coming across uh, a Jesuit priest who reviewed the movie and he said, uh, for everyone who wants to understand, uh, you know, the, the Christian idea of the devil and what he's actually after watch this because the, the, the key point he, he noted, which I think is relevant to this novel is the, the chaos master uh, the Joker in this, there's no point to it. 
simply there is no like simply to to trump up chaos to to coin a term um is the point of it and there's almost that in itself is is sort of the satisfaction and i i point that out because there's a at the very end of the book um one of the uh conspirators in this radical group you know freaks out and, and ends up confessing and so um he sort of Lamption, the jew the little jew the yes oh, man there's, there's quite a few uh not very nice mentions of the jews in this book <laughs> yes, no, not surprising for russia yeah. and um so here's what he says and and again i think what did these conspirators want now remember this these weren't the 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 well um well-planned ambitious bolsheviks yeah, these are the, of, the, the local yokels who think they're revolutionaries basically exactly yeah. but so here's here's what he said he said you know they're like the cops are like what were you up to he says well we were for the systematic shaking of the foundations for the systematic corrupting of society and all principles in order to dishearten everyone that's very important and to make a hash of everything and society being thus loosened ailing and limp wonderful writing by the way <laughs> cynical and unbelieving but with an infinite yearning for some guiding idea and for self-preservation so um there isn't a, a, a political platform. There isn't a... Does that, by the way, sound familiar to you at all, Rob? Dude, it sounds so... <laughs> it's exactly what... Republicans, anyone? <laughs> well, you know, I actually thought something even more. I thought this is exactly what uh, the FSB, the successor to the KGB, was trying to do when they interfered with the election. Mm -hmm. And what they're trying to do is essentially to create chaos and to dishearten uh, Western societies that this whole democratic idea for all its flaws, yada, yada, yada. But they really want to sow doubt that there's any legitimacy to any of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, per perhaps you can tag that secondarily on our own domestic politics. But I, I, it almost makes me think that, like, man, the Russians have been good at this for a long time. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely, man. That's it's been going on for uh, 100 plus years, if not more, really. Yeah. Um, it's this kind of this this Russian. Um, it's something about the Russian soul that they have this weird, destructive side to them. You know, um, maybe I shouldn't say them. Um, maybe it's just a human thing, really. And these Russians have to seem to have a little bit more of their you know their share. Um, but but, it's but it makes me think that yeah. if I if I think about uh, you know the years with um, the years with the church and then the years with communism. And now Putin realizing um, you need to get the church back into something. It, it makes me think that Russians need big ideas to um, to wrestle with. There, there has to be a big idea to sort of ingest whole and 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 also so that you can struggle against that big idea. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. We shouldn't we shouldn't uh, think that, you know, Putin has conquered Russia. This this novel in particular tells me you you can never um, you can conquer Russia on the surface by force, but you can never uh, gain um, uh, uniformity of ideas. The 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 hunger for uh, for opposition is always going to be there, and and there are you know very brave people in Russia today who are you know yeah. being jailed and and trying to uh, trying to resist 
you know, what's killed. I mean, look at all the journalists that Putin killed, you know, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's really this, the story is continuing, Rob, the story of the devils, the demons is continuing right now. I mean, it's never really stopped. Um, you, you definitely have it right. As far as, you know, Russia has this, but, but do we, so, so the, the, um, almost like some kind of, uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino film, the, the, the body list, the list of corpse here at the end of this book grows and grows and grows, right? Mm. And it makes me think of that that quote from Matthew where, um, you know, the, the devil is tossed into these uh, uh, a herd of pigs, and the only way for those pigs to go is down the cliff and to death. And so I, I, I try to stay away from these kinds of... Um, simplistic declarations but but is dostoevsky warning us that um these these an embrace of chaotic destructive ideas is is really the only the only place is is the graveyard that um this is dangerous stuff Um, well i mean he's definitely right about that and you know he continues to be right about that um Though it, it maybe it's slightly different nowadays, but it's it's the same you know similar framework. Yeah. Um, but but I mean, these the whole idea of possession of these devils um, it it, it, in and out of this book. I mean, it's, it's not just one or two characters, but many characters seem to be possessed at one time or another. And the possession is really in ideas. It's really in course. the head, yes. right? It starts. Yes. In, it's not. It's not just sort of a weird spiritual possession you yes. know in any kind of religious sense but it's it's really a an ideological possession and that's what he warns about this this extremism in in your viewpoints i mean look at kirillov kirillov yes. is so extreme that he believes that he will become god if he commits suicide you know self-willed yes. he just he just you know, there's no god but the only way to become god is to sort of self-will right. to commit yourself to get to overcome this fear of of dying and then you become a god of course then you're dead but whatever but but uh, it, but what it tells me though if we're going to contrast it with say and we're going to have to drift into stereotypes slightly but but if people would bear with me the the stereotype of uh, the french intellectual is that um you know this fascination with ideas ideas but then no action right and and, mm-hmm. and sometimes this is bled into french politics and we know that dostoevsky was you know, conversant and fascinated with French writers, yada, yada, yada. But it makes me think of with Kirillov that what what's different about the Russians is they act on these ideas. Yes, yes. Right? Absolutely. And this is what makes Russia so fascinating and so, um, you know, uh, I suppose dangerous. So, so bloody, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, that, they, they take these, these lofty ideas and then they start killing for them. Right. And and um, I would argue, and again, we're gonna we're gonna really just throw some blanket statements out here. Um, you and I here living in the United States, that for all the talk about you know the, the the notion of freedom and all this kind of stuff, the U.S. is is a non-idea place. It is it is it is generally a place that is not driven by ideas. Um, you could argue it's it's business and capital, right? That that this is what drives things. Mm. Entrepreneurship. Um, will drive foreign policy and these kinds of things. Where, um, well, I, th- I think not- this is why the, why Russia is so fascinating uh, throughout its history is that 
um, ideas can drive action. And again, I know I'm 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 making yeah, mass you are a little bit exact because because really I uh, you know underneath all this entrepreneurship and capitalism, there's really an ideology. The stuff with the ideas there, they're just kind of hidden. Uh, and then of course there's there's ideas that are not so hidden, like you know the opposition to abortion, all these 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 weird intellectual things that people just get stuck on and it's just that's just the way it is you know that's you know we believe that's the way it is or we believe in god and that's you know that's the way it is um with dostoevsky it's definitely more nuanced though he again he mercilessly ridicules these revolutionaries i wouldn't even call them terrorists like you, you mentioned in the beginning there's like a they're, they're not, what kind of terrorists are they they're just a local club that talks about the new ideas they yeah, do end I, up committing murder but only after being really severely manipulated by by Pyotr Stepanovich, Mirkovensky. Um, I mean, they're all basically uh, pawns in his game. Uh, now they they are sort of you know they, they do pick up these revolutionary ideas and they want to do something. There's Shigalov who actually writes a whole tract, his own tract about socialism, and he's he's got his own system. And he's like, if you don't follow this system, you're lost, you know. Yeah. And he ends up walking away from the murder. Uh, towards the end, he does not participate in it, uh, but others do. Um, so all these 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 lofty ideas that like you you're totally right. They 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 put them into action. They actually do something, and it's uh, almost always very negative. It's a destructive force. Um, and you and you're right. I mean, they they wanted to sow this chaos, but but that's some sort of a you know, reasoning behind it. Meaning, once you level this current society, we can start building a new society. Now they had all these crazy ideas, and they didn't agree with each other about what this new society is going to look like. But you know, along similar lines, meaning you know, people have more power. There'll be less, uh, you know, uh, kind of a class, uh, less of a class structure. Um, you know, the the usual kind of communist, you know very stereotypical way of thinking about socialism, maybe uh, not very nuanced at all, um, very crudely drawn in this book, because I think the ideas back then were still very crude. I mean, the, in, the, in the sense, they're still very, I mean, we're still arguing about it. We're still, socialism is a, you know, verboten in, in American politics, at least up until recently, right? If you label a socialist, that's it. Your, your political career was over. Yes, yeah. and, and then Bernie Sanders comes along and kind of changes that a little bit. But it's still it's still a a, a very ugly word for Americans. Totally, and and yeah. you know, um, you know, you pointed out the relative conservativeness of Dostoevsky, you know, post prison or whatever, and and clearly as he is, he's going after these characters in a certain way. And um, I just want to read the the, the paragraph that um, Nabokov uses to introduce his um, kind of analysis of things. And it, it gets to the fact that you could actually, as I guess some uh, uh, left critics saw this as a reactionary novel. And so uh, Nabokov writes, the possessed is the story of a Russian of Russian terrorists, his word, mm. plotting violence and destruction and actually murdering one of their own number. It was denounced as a reactionary novel um, by the radical critics. Um, and so, of course, Nabokov is writing this, I believe, in the 1950s or so. Um, so, so it's interesting to think of it in, in that light, that um, if you are, uh, I suppose, somewhat invested in the idea of transforming society in a, in a more communal way, and that... Um, uh, you know, this well, could be you know, seen as a yeah, 
because it's, it's like it's um, what you're saying. Basically, let's think about the reception of the novel in in Russia itself. All right, so it's published serially. People praise it. They like it. They don't like it. Whatever. It's the, the usual standard kind of reception of Dostoevsky novel at that time. He was a great writer. Blah blah blah. But as the revolution happens, you know, we're talking about 50, 60 years later. Uh, this novel is denounced. Uh, like you said, this novel, uh, Maxim yes. Gorky, a famous um, Soviet-era writer, called it depraved. Um, so, and it was very dangerous to talk about literature back then because you never knew which way the political winds would shift. And so you have to be very careful in your literary criticism. <laughs> you know, not, not at all like, like, like we, we have this idea today of, you know, you could just write whatever you want about any books and, you know, everybody's got an opinion type of deal. No. Back then you have to be very careful because if you express the wrong opinion, the one against the, the accepted sort of cultural critics, what they were saying, then you could be, I mean, you could be ostracized. That's the least of it. You could be jailed. That's the worst of it or killed, you know? Um, so it was, a, it was a dangerous game, literary criticism. So, and Dostoevsky went through several phases of condemnation, specifically yes. for this novel, because of the whole revolutionary theme, and then acceptance again, because they couldn't get away from the fact that, God damn it, this is a great novel. <laughs> there's just yeah. no, there's no, there's no way around it. You, you can dislike its elements, whatever, dislike its themes, but as a novel, it is, it is awesome. And so it went through several phases of kind of being rehabilitated, then being sort of looked frowned, you know, frowned against, upon, and then rehabilitated again. Um, uh, like I said, I have my version of. Let me just check the date. My I have a Russian edition that was published in, I believe, in the late eighties. No, nineteen ninety four. Nineteen ninety four. This is post, uh, uh, you know, Glasnost post. Yeah. Post-Soviet Union, and it's still missing that chapter, that crucial chapter at Tikhon's, yeah. at the monks. Yeah. I, I will point out. Um, I will point out for um, for our listeners that um, if you happen to have the translation um, by uh, Richard uh, Pever and his wife Lar Larissa Volokonsky, uh, and and this is slowly replacing the earlier translations, earlier meaning, you know, 100 years ago, whatever, from uh, Constance Garnett. But these new volumes, uh, at the end of my book, Roman, there's an appendix, and it has the, um, it has the chapter uh, that you're referring oh, to. Oh, it does. Okay. It does okay. have that. Um, my, my, my English translation is uh, relatively, I guess, obscure. It came out in 2017. I, don't, I haven't seen too many people referring to it. It's by Roger Cockrell. It's for British print imprint called Alma Classics. Uh, I love the format of it. It's very nice to hold. It's kind of this thick, slightly oversized paperback. Uh, but that chapter is exactly where it's supposed to be, right in the middle of the book, sort of. Um, though there's a note, of course, saying that it was it was a censored chapter that uh, never really uh, saw uh, was printed in Dostoevsky's lifetime. So he he even though he tried to rework it and put it in somehow, it never really saw the light of day yeah. during his lifetime. Uh, but it's a crucial chapter. I mean, if 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 nothing if 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 nothing else, if you're not going to read this book, okay, if you're not going to read this book, but you sort of want to understand the 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 crux, the nut of the revolutionary psychology or the the sort of nihilist kind of um, uh, view, then just read this chapter. It's it's kind of almost unrelated to the rest of the book because it's Stavrogin confessing his 
earlier crimes, you know, stuff that happened to him in his, uh, you know, before he showed up on the scene uh, where the action takes place. So, and it's, so, so it's not going to, you know, you're not going to be lost reading it. But basically, it's it's such a great psychological uh, chapter. It's so um, acutely observed um, and really digs into what makes these people tick, yeah. you know, what these yeah. some of them. You know, uh, whenever you talk about uh, Russian artists and political criticism during the Soviet Union, I, I can't help but um, my my heart always goes out to uh, I, I always think about and if and if our listeners aren't too familiar with it, I encourage you to poke around about the um, uh, the composer Shostakovich mm. when he debuted his opera Lady Macbeth, and he um, he debuted it uh, in uh, Moscow. And in attendance was Stalin. And in the middle of the performance, Stalin got up and left. And he um, uh, dictated to uh, some journalist uh, in the, what was the name of that state-run newspaper for years? Uh, Pravda? Pravda? Yeah. yeah. And so, um, <laughs> wh- whatever, two, two days later, uh, in the culture section, there was a denunciation of this reactionary opera um, mm-hmm. by Shostakovich, Lady Macbeth. And um, you can just imagine the fear that went through Shostakovich and, and again, how he continued to function and, 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 and how he did not end up dead or in Siberia. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's an amazing story. It and really it, is. And, yeah. and again, even though Dostoevsky is not, run, uh, not writing during the Soviet Union, um, Tsarist Russia was, a, I guess, a semi-authoritarian Oh, yeah. I mean, state. In this book, you have spies, you have yeah. counter spies. People are always being afraid of being um, uh, denounced. Yes, uh, that's the word they use. Um, there's there's fear of informers. In fact, the the again the crucial chapter where one of the crucial chapters where Shatov is killed, uh, he is killed because supposedly the you know, Pyotr Stepanovich convinces everybody that he was going to inform on them, on this little circle of quote unquote terrorists. Um, so they're they're afraid for their lives. So they being they get pushed to murder, which is actually what happened in real life. What what stirred uh, Dostoevsky to write this book in the first place is the murder of a revolutionary Ivan Ivanov by the Nechayev gang. They, you know, it was one of their own. They killed him. Even some of the details of the murder, like the police found a, a, a you know Shatov's cap next to you know, where he was murdered. That's how they found his body. Yes, he found his you know peaked cap. That's exactly what happened to Ivan Ivanov. That's how they found him. Yeah, um, you know, so it's uh, Dostoevsky again. He was he was all set to write a kind of a kind of a romance almost, which is what you see here uh, with all the ladies and the Stavrogin's influence on these ladies. Is you know he's he's a quite, quite a I guess a charming not charming but a very magnetic personality, and they are all all seem to flock to him. He sleeps with. With Shatov's sister, he sleeps with his wife, right? She gets pregnant and then dies, and the kid dies. Oh, it's horrible. Um, he he seduces Maria Timofeyevna, who's kind of this half-wit, um, lame girl. He doesn't really seduce her, but she's in love with him, and they get married. He kind of pretends to really be in love with her, just out of some weird psychological state that he's in. Um so you have all you have this this complete uh, 
kind of this weird uh, romance almost going on, even though I wouldn't really call it that. I don't know, you know, meaning meaning there's a lot of um, man woman type of relationship going on here. Um, very mysterious way he seduces all these ladies somehow. From when he was abroad, he seduces them. They they follow him. He's got this weird mag- magnetism to him, right? Uh, but at the same, then you have this this other part of this book, which is this whole revolutionary, uh, you know, fever that everybody has. And so what happened is that you know he was all set to write this basically straightforward rom- romance kind of novel. Not I mean I'm, I'm using the word word the wrong word, but. It wasn't a political book that he was writing, and then this thing with Nechayev happens, and it really upset him. I mean, this think of it as almost like a oh, you know, stupid analogy. It wasn't a 9-11, but it was a big story in Russia, the whole Nechayev affair. It was a big, big story. It, it was, you know, everybody knew about it. Everybody was outraged. They were like, what the hell are we going to do now with all these young, disaffected people who are turning to be crazy and revolutionary and so he he started he wanted to write a pamphlet against these people. He, he wanted these political pamphlets, uh, but then he decided to sort of combine the two storylines, yeah. the political and this kind of semi-romantic kind of um, novel that he was writing, and he sort of jammed them together, these two themes, into this one book. And I'm still not. Um, I don't know how, how did you Rob? How did you react to the whole love affairs and the whole? You know that that other part that we haven't really talked about yet. With yeah, I you know um, with him his womanizing and all this stuff. You know, you know uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't use the word um, you know criticism, but if but if I just in terms of purely as a reader and and enjoyment and so forth, I I really uh, enjoyed the first part of the book when it when it was primarily focused on um, the scholar. Um, uh, Peter Antofimovich. Yep, Stepan. and his yeah. and his um, uh, benefactor um, Varvara Petrovna, right? And, and sort of setting that scene, um, and then there's there's the the middle where we 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 get all of the where the sort of the play sort of begins, and all mm-hmm. the characters are brought in, and there's intrigue, and then there's the the political conspirators, there's the relationships that you're alluding to, and and then finally um, as we get to the murders, <laughs> to put it bluntly, towards the end, that's when I feel myself uh, pulled back into the book as a as a reader, and I'm enjoying every bit of it. I, mm. I again, if if I was an editor and this manuscript would have would have landed on my desk today, I I would have encouraged the author to maybe thin out a few of the characters, and I, I would have uh, chopped a bit of the middle. But again, to to make those kinds of observations about a, a novel that's you know 150. Well, years I mean, old. I think I think it's something that I'm still uh, obviously formulating in my head. But this whole, you know, you have this this death and love kind of duality in this book, and love is very important because it look at the relationship of the characters who kind of hold the book together, which is uh, um, Stepan Trofimovich, the, the old kind of scholar guy. Uh, yep. retired professor and his benefactor, benefactress, yeah. Varvara Petrovna. They, they kind of hold the book together. They, they've yeah. lived together for 22 years. They've fought. They, they, they're they basically like husband and wife, but they were never married, though. Towards the end, he confesses his love to her. He's always loved her. But again, we don't really know if yes. he, because you know, at this point, he's delirious. He's about to die anyway. Um, well, not anyway, but he's about to die. Um so we're not sure if it's like a you know, romantic love or if it's just you know, some sort of a pure platonic love or 
you know, something like that. Um, but there's, and he, 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 in his delirious kind of last uh, sort of speeches that he gives, uh, he talks about love. He talks about how love is above all, how it's, how it will save people. And, and I think it's not just a throwaway kind of theme. I think it's really important here because we have, we do have so much death and so much uh, nihilism and negativity that this, this lighter side, or maybe not even lighter, but this other side is, is also important. But there, there are so many weird liaisons going on in this book. You know, there's, uh, there's Maria Timofeyevna, this lame half-wit who is, seems to be in love with Stavrogin, and then you have Shatov and his wife showing up at the end, and they're this, you know, and again, she's pregnant by Stavrogin, and she gives birth to a baby right in front of Shatov, right before he's killed, really. You know, I, I, I guess I see those as, um, much as I see those kinds of things in Dickens' novels, that, um, you know, Dickens was very aware of uh, having a readership and uh, reaching a, a large audience. He had, in the case of Dickens, he had a lot of bills and a lot of uh, women on the side. <laughs> so he had to he had to sell uh, these serialized products. And so, so some of that uh, in Dostoevsky, I think, is simply, um, you know, he's aware that there there's a readership. That's, and That's what sells. Yeah. That's yeah. What sells, yeah. Absolutely. I, I, yeah I, no, again, I, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point, but I I think it goes deeper than that. Of course, yeah, yeah, right. Everything has to have an asterisk because he's a genius, right? So, well, I mean, look, let's let's just judge the book by its by by its. I mean, yes, we know it's classic. We know it's Dostoevsky with a big D, but I really enjoyed this book, man, and not in any kind of you know light-hearted way. Oh, I I, I can see. Yeah, it's obvious. Maybe because I'm Russian in some sense, you know. As I was telling you before we started recording, I lived with this book. It's 700 pages, and it took me over a month to read. Um, and I tried reading it in big gulps here and there, but I wasn't always successful. But it stayed. It stayed with me every. I mean, it's just I started reading it, and I started thinking about the characters. I didn't. I haven't stopped thinking about the characters. Even though I stopped reading the book at this point, I, they're alive in me somehow. I'm always yeah. thinking, or well, at least while I was reading it, I was thinking, you know, when I was not reading, I was thinking about the book. Uh, I was dreaming about the book. I had dreams about some of the characters. Wow. 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 Seriously, man. It, I, wow. it really, I think you mentioned something about the, that whole inner life and how it's yeah. more important for, well, not maybe it's just more of a feature of a, the Russian soul or something like that. Well, I really, I really felt it in, in a strange way. The reality of the book, while I was reading it, became more important to me than my own reality. Wow. Um, yeah, like I said, I was going to work, I was driving around, I was washing the dishes, sleeping, and this novel was just with me. And I was thinking, why did he do that? Why did she say that? And Or what's going to happen next? But not in the kind of uh, simple whodunit type of deal, but more in a, yeah. how is the psychology going to, how is he going to explain this? Yeah, this weird behavior because the behavior of many of these characters is freaking strange. Mm. They do bizarre things. They say bizarre things, um, and you're not quite sure why. But things do get explained, not in a simplistic way. There's still there's still this sense of uh, you know reality, meaning you can't totally grasp it. They're not cardboard characters. They're they're almost real, so they're right. they're always slip through fingers, you know. Oh, totally. You know, it, it reminds me of, and again, this is where uh, you're in the hands of a master in, in why do characters do things, but you also as a reader and as a human being 
because you're dealing with a, a masterful writer, you recognize it as as true that it that it like in the example that jumps out at me is I'm going to get the pronunciation wrong, but Lymashin, the Jewish character, Lymashin, Lymashin, yeah. So uh, trying not to give a spoiler alert, but you know he's involved in one of the murders uh, in a certain capacity, and uh, as he's dealing with the the immediate shock that he was a part of a murder and he's around this corpse. He suddenly, there's a shriek that that comes out from him, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he just starts shrieking in the middle of the night in this yes. park. Yes, and, that was and great. I love that. It's like this this inner cry, and it, it made me think of, um, you know, again Dostoevsky in the camps in Siberia, where he must have seen human behavior at its raw rawest. Yeah, the extremes, mind. extremes yeah. of human behavior. Yes, and Absolutely. and. Although I've never seen a human being just shriek out in an unexpected way like that before, I recognize it as true when when you've, you've yeah, reached because, a look, it's, despair. It's, it's yeah. beyond beyond trusting a great writer. It's just trusting your own experience. I mean, not not particularly firsthand, but we're all humans. We we all share a similar psychology, whether we're from Russia or from you know uh, Mongolia. It doesn't really matter because we are human, and we. That's that's what makes Dostoevsky great is this universality. We we somehow understand, even though we don't, we might not be able to um, verbalize the understanding, but we understand what the characters are going for, through. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was I was pleasantly surprised because Lamshin is portrayed, or you know, he's he's part of this kind of terrorist cell. Again, this is all in quote marks because they're not really a cell; they're just basically a a, a social club that got a little carried away, <laughs> right? <laughs> basically. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like many political parties, right? Yeah, yeah, but they really get get carried away. But again, they're they're being manipulated. But in any case, but he's you know he's a Jewish character, and there's I'd say at least four or five very unkind references to Jews in this book, particularly in relation to Lamshin, since he's the the one sort of Jew that stands out. Um, you know, he plays the piano beautifully. Uh, he's a very talented artist, uh, but yet all of this is almost like taken away from him by the narrator because he says, well, uh, you kind of stole that tune from somebody else, that, you know, he's always being a little undermined and there's always, you know, whenever there's any kind of uh, um, dealings with money or money lending, the Jews come out again, the little right, Jews, yeah. the Yids, you know, this yep. is uh, offensive terms for Jewish uh, people. Um, but this this primal scream that Lamshin gives at the end here, um, Almost, uh, I, I almost forgive Dostoevsky for those uh, little Jew jokes, uh, not jokes really, but, uh, you know, digs, um, because it, it, this, it shows him as being human, very, very human, um, beyond any kind of nationality or religion. Um, and it really, it kind of, you know, it made me not happy, but it, it sort of re redeemed him a little. Again, let's not confuse Dostoevsky with the narrator, right? Yeah. The narrator is... Uh, is not Dostoevsky. The narrator is a very strange character, by the way, because we never learn his name. Uh, he seems to be very well integrated into this provincial society, so he does know a lot of people, and he gets these reports, which is why he can give us uh, this narration of things that happened when he wasn't there. But some of the things that he describes, nobody really should know. You know, yeah, it, it, he it describes weird. in such intimate detail that... Right. You're like, okay, so it's not really some yeah. narrator who lives in a town and who knows a lot of people. It's right. really he, he, he's at times almost at times he's like a participant. 
yeah. uh, and, and right, a direct participant and observer. But then also there's like an omniscient part where he, right, he's floating in the sky. And right. so it's not it's not a perfect novel as far as, you know, uh, if you were start nit- nitpicking at it that way. Yes. Yes. There's, there's definitely some problems with the with that. But uh, we don't really care because it's, it's it doesn't really matter. Um, but so so I don't know. It's it's it seems to be a very. It's a complex novel, very complex with very vivid characters. I mean, if you want to learn about characterization, go to Dostoevsky. Dickens is also good, but Dostoevsky, to my mind, is nonpareil. You know, he's just great. Um, and the, the the structuring of the narrative, uh, the plot line, um, he never really loses sign of it, even though there's there's a bunch of plot lines, really. And it's the characters who make this book. Who, who bring it to life. It's the characters. It's not anything about a particular plot to kill a revolutionary. It's not anything specific like that. It's just the, these characters are so colorful and so nuanced. Their psychology is so well explored, yet they remain slightly hidden as as all people are because, you know, you can't completely describe somebody on paper. That's just not going to happen. Uh, there's always some hidden side or some unexplained side or something that we just don't, don't understand. And that's fine. You know, and that's I, I think that goes also back to perhaps Dostoevsky's relation t- uh, to religion. Um, that as, as as deeply as you can explore it, there's always this kind of hidden side to it, um, and that's why he was ambivalent. He was ambivalent about everything, man. And that's why I think he's such a great psychologist. He's he's not one of these revolutionaries. He's not one of these ide- ideologues who who has an idea and just that's just sticks to this idea come hell or high water. Yeah. He he says, okay, so what if this, what if the opposite happens? What if this happens? What if you think this way? What if you think that way? And yes, he does put emphasis on, you know, the anti-revolutionary side. He's obviously uh, leading that way because he's mercilessly caricaturing these people. He's making fun of them in the book, yet they still, they still come across as human. Right. They're not, they're not some, you know, weird puppets that he's just manipulating and, for his own ideological purposes. And that's why the book survives. And yes, that's why, that's why it's a classic. Because yeah. imagine how many, uh, you know, political-oriented novels were written by Europeans and Russians at the same time period. Oh, well, yeah. let's, let's, let's talk about that. Since you mentioned that, let's, it's very important because there's so many references. We've talked a little bit about uh, Karmazinov and you know, being Turgenev and how he just makes, makes fun of him. But there's there's Herzen, there's the Russian Herzen who ended up living in Switzerland uh, at the end of his life because Russia just said fuck you, get out of here. Um, there's Belinsky, very very influential novel, What Is to Be Done, mm-hmm. which dealt with these you know these new socialist ideas. Yep, um, very very important to Dostoevsky. Yeah. Yes, mentioned many times in this book. Yes, um, uh, Fourier, the French. Fourier, uh, yeah, the French uh, anarchist kind of. Uh, yes. I believe he was an anarchist, and yeah. Uh, Bakunin is mentioned, so the, a lot of these sort of heavyweights uh, are, are mentioned and and sort of form some sort of a scaffolding for these for these um, you know, new ideas yeah. that he's presenting in this book. Um, so it's very important to sort of what I did is I, I knew I've known about many of these people, of course, but I just googled them. I just as I was reading, I made sure that I sort of knew what exactly their place in 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 that period of time was and why Dostoevsky was using them um because what is to be done uh, is such an important book uh, it's i think it's mentioned in in more than just the devils here the demons i think it's mentioned in 
quite a few of Dostoevsky's novels, um, or at least its, its influence is felt. So it's kind of important for readers, if you really want to get a full sense of it, to at least know tangentially what these books uh, meant to the Russian people at the time, you know, what they represented. Because they're not just some political pamphlets, you know, they're, they're, um, they were bestsellers. They were, they were, everybody read them, everybody knew about them, everybody was talking about them. Um, and again, we're talking about uh, the internet of the day, you know, these pamphlets, these books, they had no other way of spreading this, this information. So I guess, I don't know, I'm not comparing it to the internet, but you know, you know what I'm saying? The way, the way sure. ideas were spread, that's, that's the way ideas were spread. Uh, like today, ideas are spread mostly through you know, the internet. Uh, I mean, show me a book that has that much influence nowadays, and I'll show you the yeah, internet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you <know>? yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, just to, to, I think in contrast to our current sort of scene is um, you can be a, you know, Anglo-American novelist, and although there's, you know, chaos in our political system, you really... Uh, you can just ignore all that and 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 be a, a teacher at a creative writing program and and just you know write your your small literary novels. You really don't need to. You can ignore all the the currents of the day. I think if you want to, but I think to be a, a writer uh, in nineteenth century Russia and to be in one of these circles in Saint Petersburg, I mean, I think you just had to engage with these ideas. Um, I, I think there wasn't a, a huge circle of of writers, intellectuals, academic types. And I think they all knew each other. And yeah, they were probably, you know, certain key books that were coming in from Europe in particular. And yeah. um, everybody knew them. Everybody talked about them. And, you know, that's just, it, it's an unimaginable intellectual world um, compared to our own. And the funny um, thing is, you know, the uh, Dostoevsky, especially the Soviet era, he was accused a lot of times of, of being a fantasist, not Meaning, meaning, not uh, not a social realist like like yeah. the Soviets wanted everybody to be, yes. all the writers to be. So he was accused of kind of uh, you know making things up and and being a fantastic writer. Meaning he just it wasn't you know writing to real life, so to speak. Right. And and but, I know the Soviets loved Tolstoy. The, the Soviets they staged films of war and peace and all sorts of things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Dostoevsky was definitely much more controversial that way yeah. because I think partly because uh, they're full of themselves. Because through his little inventions and fantasies, he was more of a realist than than a lot of them. You know. Yeah. He was more of a certainly psychological, psychologically acute writer than 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 any Soviet uh, social realist writer. Yeah. including Gorky, who put down this novel. He really didn't like this novel. Though he yeah. then he then confessed later on that he actually did like it. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> but a lot of things in, in Soviet Russia, Rob, were, were, were done uh, so that you look good externally. Otherwise, yeah. you might be, you know, killed yeah. or sent to Siberia. So there was a lot of weirdness going on there. So that's why there's a lot of flip-flopping going on with Dostoevsky's um, you know, reception mm -hmm. in Soviet Russia. Because nobody yeah. ever really knew... Which side was the correct politically politically correct side to be on? Absolutely, and you know, again, to to highlight the stakes of writers in the Soviet Union. I mean, Isaac Babel in 1940 was was killed by Stalin's secret police mm -hmm. um, in immeasurable loss. Uh, a, a writer who probably we should do a a podcast oh. on some of his oh. short stories. Amazing. I, I, Amazing. I, yeah, I, I, I love that man. 
Uh, no, he's he's that's all I can say. He's, he's 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 a special writer. He's not like the rest. He's a special writer. I would also recommend, um, and this this is a recent translation that I don't think even existed before, uh, of Varlam Shalomov, uh, Kalimsky Raskazik, uh, Kalimsky Tales. Um, it's his experiences in the Gulag. Ah. Um, it's 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 very different beast from Solzhenitsyn. Yeah. A very powerful uh, short stories um, that kind of shed light a little bit on on this book as well on devils on the demons um, because of that psychology we're talking about. But but uh, it's a recent translation. I uh, if if you guys are at all interested in 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 sort of Russian literature and how it you know some of the some of the best stuff out there, uh, seek this book out. Varlam Shalomov. S H A L A M O V, I believe, um, his last name. Uh, it's just recently translated, and it, it's one of the books that I, I got from my dad that I'm keeping forever. I got several books from my dad from his library. Yaroslav Hashek, you know, Good Soldier Shveik. I have it in Russian translation. Oh, which nice, is nice! Superior by far to the English translation because it's nice. you know, uh, closer to the language. Um, and I have uh, Shalamov's uh, Kalimsky Raskazi, which uh, it's like I said, one of my sort of treasures from my dad's library, you know. Well, well, uh, to use your patronymic, well, Mr. Uh, Roman Vladimir. Um, no, 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 Roman Vladimirovich. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I, I, I feel like we've kind of come to the end. I, I feel like I've kind of said a lot of the things I wanted to say. Um, if, if there's anything else that occurs to you uh, as we, uh, begin I'm just going to say, here. I'm just going to say, if if you uh, don't mind reading long novels and getting lost in a good book, um, get lost in this book. It's well worth the journey. Um, you'll come out the richer for it. Um, it. It's it's really whoa. I don't know. It's a, it's it's an amazing book. One of my favorites at this point. But I just finished reading it. So every book I just finished reading is my favorite. Um, but yeah, I, I won't soon forget it, and I'll keep coming back to it because, like I said, it's it's the the depth of his dive into the psychology here is so deep that I haven't really. I need to go back either reread it. I'm gonna. I think there's an adaptation, a recent Russian adaptation of this book. I'm gonna go watch that. I think it's on Netflix or something. Oh wow, huh. <laughs> something like that. I found it. I don't forget. It's Hulu or Netflix or something. But it's a. Yeah. Uh, it's a multi-episode type of adaptation. It's probably horrible, but I'll watch it yeah. anyway. Um, you know, so it's I just highly, highly, highly recommend it. If you've read Crime and Punishment, if you've read any Dostoevsky at all, and you sort of liked it, uh, I say dive into this one. There's, there's um, for me, it, it, I did not find any boring parts. There was not, there was, there wasn't a stretch of the book of the book that I was thinking, oh, when is this going to be over? I want to get to the next part. Uh, yeah. No, because everything kind of to me. Um, added to the value of, of what was going on. So I really enjoyed this book and it kept me on tender hooks. I kept on thinking, you know, my wife, Rebecca, she's, um, she, she does not usually read uh, big fat Russian classics, but I, I was kept on thinking how much she would enjoy it. If she even gave it a try, because there's so much intrigue and so many like love triangles and, and, and sort of like, a real housewives type of things going on. I mean, that's a horrible <laughs> things to say. Things the real say. housewives of St. Petersburg. Something like that. Meaning, meaning there's, 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 yeah, there's, there's definitely some, some cat fighting going on there. Um, there, there's, you know, there's societal, uh, not unrest, but societal sort of you, you people who kind of 
hoping to move up in society, people going down in society. So all this kind of like stuff that usually would appeal to the, I don't know, to the, you know, I, I don't mean to the mean people like that, but you know, real housewives, the kind of reality, meaning you want to find out what happens to these crazy characters, you know? Yeah. Uh, not in any sense of like, you know, deep philosophical thoughts, but actually, are they going to get together? Are they going to get married? Uh, what's going to happen? Are they going to have a kid? You know, that type of thing. It definitely happens here. It keeps you on your toes. It keeps it interesting. Uh, you know, two thumbs up. Very nice. Um, so we're going to sign off here, but we'll mention that uh, we've, we're going to kind of do something different. We've started to put together a running list of, you know, the next five or six books that we plan to do. And we'll sort of put that out there. So people, I know people are busy, we're busy. And, and so, uh, you know, maybe you can pick a book that uh, within the next two or three months, you're going to try to read along with us. Um, Cause we do appreciate that when people uh, kind of read with us, it makes it more fun for sure. Um, the next book that we're going to do, we're going to really switch gears and we're going to do the American novelist slash composer and by composer i mean he classical music very respected uh he actually classical. preferred to be called a composer rather, yes. rather than a writer <laughs> and, and so we're we're talking about the american uh writer paul bowles slash composer who is you know somewhat associated with the beat writers but he wrote a an amazing novel called the sheltering sky uh mid-20th century one of my favorite books of all time. There was a, uh, I think, a movie in the 1980s. Yeah, with Jeremy uh, Irons. John, yeah. yeah, and John Malkovich. Quite, quite a lovely book. So, uh, and and we'll we'll have uh, we're going to do Helen Dewitt, uh, The Last Samurai. So we'll put out a list of all uh, future books, and so please check that out. We'll tweet that out. Uh, and as usual, thank you to Heston Hoffman, who is our sound engineer uh, here in Portland. So that's about it. Uh, you know, again, uh, Roman is on Twitter at Zenju, and you can find me at Robert Fay One. So, thanks a lot, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. It's pretty here in Oregon. I'm sure it's yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, nice I'm gonna go. Here. I'm gonna go deal with my own demons now. Okay, there you go. Enjoy. Uh, <laughs> All right. Okay, man. Care, man. So, thanks so Take much. Care. We'll talk. Bye. Right. 